That is the quiet, quietest I've ever heard a group of people with Super Bowl highlights in my life. So congratulations to the four of you that are Chiefs fans uh, out there today. Uh, way to go. Anybody have a chance to watch the game uh, last weekend? Okay, gotcha. Awesome. Some of you are like, well, there was a game? What? I don't care. That's okay. Uh, that, is, that is totally fine. I was watching the game, uh, like many of you, uh, last weekend, having, enjoying some company, uh, some family and friends, and great food, and, and rating the goofiness of the Super Bowl commercials as we uh, went along as well. And it was a great game. It was a great game. But I am always struck and fascinated uh, by this image, by this, this illustration, which you may not know. I did a little research this past week. They estimate that about 100 million people watch that game. Okay? That's a few. A hundred million people watch the game either on their televisions or streaming it online or whatever. And then uh, Hard Rock Stadium there in Miami seats about another 75,000 actually got to be at the game and watch it live. And it was packed, obviously. And then there's another couple hundred that are standing along the sides with the, the referees and the training staff and the, the uh, substitute players, uh, the coaches, the media, the press, and all of that. So you've got 100 million watching it at home. You've got 75,000 in the stadium. You've got hundreds on the sidelines. And 22 guys at a time are actually on the field. That is a beautiful thing for professional sports, for live sports, and for the NFL. It is a terrible picture of the church, okay? Let me explain, okay? Jesus talks about our level of engagement in Mark chapter 12, and let's read it together nice and loud up on the screen. Let's read this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself, okay? In what's known as the great commandment, Jesus is making it clear. Faith is something that engages all of you. You are actively involved in your faith. You are engaging. Faith is something that involves all of us, our head and our hearts and our hands, okay? It's audience participation Sunday here, so everybody get your hands out, okay? Turn to the person next to you and say, you're not too cool for this. Tell them that right now. You're not too cool for this, okay? All right. Okay, ready? Faith is something that engages our head, our hearts, and our hands. One more time. Our head, our hearts, and our hands. And then you finish with the Macarena, however you do that. It feels, it feels like you should, okay? The church is not a group of people that sits idly by and watches ministry happen. That's why this image of thousands and millions of people sitting idly by watching a few players that actually get the thrill, the experience of being on the field is a terrible picture of the church. If you want a biblical picture of what the church is supposed to be, don't look at the thousands in the stands, look at the teams on the field, okay? Now hear me say this, process this through your lens of church, okay? They accomplished something together that they couldn't do alone and every single one of them was needed. I don't think you got it. Let me say it again. They accomplished something together that they could not do alone, and every single one of them was needed. That's the bridge. That's the connection between what we saw last weekend and what you and I are called to do and be as a part of the church. And don't get me wrong. The good news today is you're already doing it. You're an incredibly, incredibly active church that is putting your faith into action. We got a great picture of that last weekend. Uh, for those of you that couldn't make it, we had our first 
work day at our brand new facility, and it was awesome. We had over 100 people come and help in a variety of ways. And if you want a picture of the players that came to play, man, we had people from all different ages and seasons of life and definitely skill levels because I was there, uh, and people that were doing handyman jobs and people that were carrying stuff. Kids were helping. Entire families were there helping and serving and doing all this together. What a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. And then that continued on the weekend. The kids led us in worship and sang last weekend. And then you brought hundreds of pounds of of groceries and personal items and all sorts of things for our Super Bowl food drive. Those went out this week to a couple different shelters, actually, uh, not shelters, but uh, pantries here in town at actually local high schoolers, uh, schools here in the city. I mean, there was, a, there was a buzz, there was an energy, there was an activation to our faith. And I've had so many of you in the last few weeks come up to me and say, John, I've never felt more alive in my faith. And there's a reason for that. You're putting your body to work. Just like the human body is not meant to sit on the couch and eat Cheetos all day, right? The body of Christ, which is us as the church, is called to activate our faith muscles in our head and our heart and our hands. Yes, we want you to know who Jesus is and understand that cognitively. Yes, we want you to believe and know who you are and who God is in your heart. But at some point, it's got to move to your hands. At some point, it, it takes application and root in your life and you experience what it's like to be in the game. And it turns out, this is exactly what Jesus has been about all along, what he wants for you today, and it's the story that we see in Matthew 14 today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take out your Bibles, Matthew 14, and turn to our scripture reading for today. If you don't have a Bible, there's ones in the back, and there's no excuse, because I know that many of you, and if not all of you, have smartphones, and you can download for free the YouVersion Bible app, and always have the Bible with you wherever you go. It will even read the Bible to you, so there is no excuse. You have your phone wherever you go, you've got the Bible wherever you go as well. So Matthew chapter 14 would encourage you to bring your Bible to worship every single week. So we are continuing a new uh, series that we started last week called Start Seeing Miracles, Limitless, looking at Jesus through the lens of being a miracle worker. And last week we talked about Jesus uh, uh, calming the sea and the storm with the disciples. And this week uh, they find themselves uh, in a boat, again, going to a remote place as well. And so when we arrive on the scene, here in Matthew chapter 14. We're going to start at the beginning just to kind of set the scene for you. Jesus has been busy once again. He has been healing the blind. He's been casting out demons. He's cured all sorts of diseases. He's been with people all day. Not to mention he just got the news that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been tragically killed. And he is grieving. And he is hurting. And this is one of the many things I love about Jesus and how relatable he is in his humanness. Jesus was grieving. And when you're hurting and, and, you know, grief isn't just when somebody dies. Grief can be in a divorce, in a broken relationship, in a relationship that's changing and shifting when you're physically separated from somebody. That can look a lot of different ways. And when you're, when you're grieving and when you're hurting, do you like to be around a ton of people? <laughs> I don't know about you. I, I like to be alone. Alone with God, alone with my thoughts to process and, and, and grieve and mourn. And that's what Jesus wants to do. He, he needs to get away and, and recharge a little bit. But this is the thing that Jesus has been doing all throughout the Gospels. There's this thing that Jesus models for us of this daily and weekly rhythm of work and rest, of work and rest. For most of us, it's work, 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 crash, get sick. 
work, 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 and do that again. Jesus models this healthy rhythm for us of work and rest. When the crowds come in, Jesus goes away. When he's met his max and he's tired and he needs to mourn or grieve, he moves away. There's this daily dependence on the Father. And Jesus kind of follows this mantra in his life. He lives out this truth. Everything I need from them, for them, I get from him. Everything I need for them, I get from him. What if we applied that in our lives as well? Jesus is modeling this. And so when he teaches later on the disciples, you know, when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, he teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. He doesn't say give us our monthly bread or our quarterly bread, right? Jesus wants that ongoing relationship with, with us. And it's kind of thinking about this. Some of us want a Costco kind of relationship with Jesus, okay? Anybody ever been to Costco? You members there? Anybody ever? We just joined a couple months ago. It is blowing my mind, okay? 17 cartons of strawberries at once. Why not, right? A 25-pack of toothpaste. I'm not going to have to buy toothpaste until I'm 80. I mean, you're set, right? But some of us want a Costco kind of relationship with Jesus, right? I just want to give me, give me everything all at once because I don't want to have to do this daily relationship thing. Just give me the five-year plan, Jesus. Give me the 10-year plan. Just, I, want, I want all the healing now. I want all the wisdom and direction. I want all the everything now. That's not how Jesus operates because then it wouldn't be a relationship. He wants us to have a daily dependence on him, and that's what Jesus models. And so Jesus is uh, wanting to get away to spend some time alone, but look at verse 13. The crowds heard where he was headed and followed him on foot from many towns. So Jesus just got into a boat. He's sailing to the other side so he can get away from people, but they follow him. Verse 14, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Can you imagine planning like a two-week vacation with your best friends or your spouse and you book this exotic resort on a remote island and you take this luxury uh, you know, cruise liner out there and they drop you off and you step off for your two-week vacation in solitude and there is all your colleagues and all the people you work with with a bunch of to-do lists and needs for you, right? No! Like, this is your worst nightmare, right? This is what Jesus is experiencing. If any of us are in Jesus' position, we're like, you gotta be kidding me, people. Leave me alone. Can a man get some space, okay? But he doesn't. This miracle never happens if Jesus chooses frustration over compassion. How many times do we do the opposite? Man, these people are getting on my nerves. Man, my kids are getting on my nerves. Man, my coworkers. I... How many opportunities do we miss because we jump right to frustration? Jesus sees the crowd and doesn't go, people get away from me. Jesus sees the crowd and sees stories and hearts and people that are hurting. If you ever struggle with mega churches or big churches or churches that are growing, I want you to ask yourself, how did Jesus respond to the crowds? Numbers, it's just all about numbers, all these people. Jesus had compassion on them because they were tired, they had walked a long way, and they were starving. That's how you respond to crowds. That's how you respond to large groups of people. But... They are out in the middle of nowhere, and the situation is there's really no fast food around. And so his disciples come to Jesus, rightly so, in verse 15. Jesus, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and find food for themselves. So the disciples got it partially right. They saw the need, but they did what you and I often do when we're presented with difficult situations. 
They limited the possible solutions to only what they could come up with. When's the last time you had a big decision to make? When's the last time that you needed some wisdom or direction for your life and you didn't know what to do? Often, prayer is not the first thing we turn to. We turn to everything else first. I'm going to read a blog that one of my friends follows. I'm going to go to Facebook. I'm going to put a poll out on Twitter. I'm going to ask what everybody else, my my friends think. I'm going to see what the popular opinions, what everybody else is doing these days. Oh, and then if I if I get around to it, if if nothing else works, then I'll ask God. And that's how we operate sometimes. And that's what the disciples are doing here. Jesus, we don't see any solution, so there must not be a solution. Okay. And then Jesus comes back. I love this with one of his mic drop moments in scripture. Verse 16, it's very short. Let's read it together. This is how Jesus responds. That isn't necessary. You feed them. (laughs) Mic drop and Jesus is out, okay? That isn't necessary. You feed them, okay? The disciples kind of say, Jesus says, you know what would be cool? Uh, If we fed them. And the disciples say, you know what would be cool, Jesus, if you would have planned better ahead and we would have hired a catering company to meet us here, and that would have been a lot better. And Jesus says, actually, you want to know something? I am Uber Eats and DoorDash and a catering company all wrapped into one because I'm the bread of life, baby, and I am standing right here in front of you. What do you mean we don't have any bread, okay? Don't underestimate it when Jesus is right there. And you know what's going to happen next, so let's not jump too quickly to the miracle, okay? Woo, Jesus, miracle man, ah! Okay? How many opportunities have you missed because you insisted on seeing God's provision before you took a step of faith? The disciples said, Jesus, how can we believe you? How can we trust you? Because we don't see the supply yet. How many opportunities have you missed because you didn't see the whole staircase and Jesus is saying, take the first step? How many opportunities have you missed because you wanted to see the light at the end of the tunnel and Jesus said, take the first step? Jesus said, how are we going to feed them? Give it to me. I know, it's five loaves and two fishes. Give whatever situation, give what you have to me. Jesus looks the disciples in the eyes in this moment as they're like looking at him like, are you crazy? Like, we got some little kid's sack lunch. You're going to feed not 5,000 men, but then you add in the women and children. That's not a us current-day cultural thing is patriarchal society. They don't always count the women and children right away. You're talking about close to 10,000 people. Jesus, you are crazy. And I can just see Jesus looking them in the eyes. Hey, guys, do you trust me? Oh, Jesus, you can do it. No, no, no. Do you trust me? You have watched me open the eyes of the blind. You have watched me heal people that were crippled their entire life and now they're running around town. You have watched me cleanse the leper. You have watched me cast out demons. You have watched me transform people's lives. This story is not about the miracle. It's about Jesus teaching the disciples to trust the heart of God. And he looks at you today with those same eyes when you're driving home from work in your car and you're all alone and you don't know how you're going to make it another day. And he says, hey, do you trust me? And when you're in the middle of that heated argument with your spouse, which never happens on the way to church, I know, and you're wondering, do any other Christian couples struggle with what we, we struggle with? Jesus looks at you and says, you're going to make it. Do you trust me? Are you willing to put me first in your life? when you're struggling with self-doubt, depression, and self-hatred, which a lot of you do, Jesus looks you in the eyes and says, do you trust me today? 
that what I say about you is what's real, not what you think about yourself when you look in the mirror? Do you trust me? This story is about trusting the heart of God. Oh, the miracle is going to be really, really cool, and we'll get to that in a second. But Jesus is trying to teach the disciples something in this moment. Everything you need for them, you get from him. Everything I need for my kids, I get from him. Everything I need for parenting, everything I need for friendship, everything I need to care for my aging parents, everything I need for my coworkers, everything I need for my small group, I get from him. And it requires daily bread, daily dependence. And sometimes it's hard to put yourself there and to imagine what it would have been like that day. And so as you watch this next clip, watch the reaction of the disciples when Jesus provides. Take a look. Can you imagine Jesus watching his disciples go back and forth from the basket to feeding the people, having this truth engraved on their hearts? Everything I need for them I get from him. Everything I need for them, I get from him. Oh, that we would apply that to our daily life and our families and our relationships. He's given you everything you need, but it requires coming to him for daily bread, not showing up at church once every three months or reading your Bible when I feel like it or when it's convenient. He's enough for you. And how do we know that? One of the coolest parts of this entire story, there was leftovers. I mean, how cool is that? Like, they're Norwegians. They have more food than they need. There's 12 baskets left over. What does that say? There's always more with God. Jesus' first miracle was turning the water into wine at the wedding in Cana. There was buckets and gallons left over. God is communicating. Jesus is playing with us here. There's always more with God. There's always more with God. So the first lesson that we learn of the day is that Jesus is always enough. But the second lesson that Jesus is teaching his disciples is that following Jesus means you're in the game, okay? Jesus could have done this miracle by himself. He could have snapped his fingers and had happy meals drop from the sky for every single person there, okay? He could have done it all himself. But here's a little known fact. The little heading above in your Bible isn't a 100% accurate. Jesus feeds the 5,000, okay? Yes, Jesus talked, interceded on people's behalf, and God provided this food from heaven. But who fed the people? The disciples did. They got off the bench, and Jesus brought them into the game. Following Jesus is not a spectator sport, and you're never going to get filled up if you consume you're never going to get filled up if your version of religion is coming and hearing a sermon and listening to some music and going home. It's never going to be enough for you. Jesus is doing this time and time again. He's calling us into the game. And so it should not surprise us that Jesus essentially breaks out a massive picnic for 10,000 people on the hillside. Jesus loved food. Jesus loved eating with people. The many things that Jesus loved right at the top was food, okay? Jesus loved eating with people. And we see this all throughout the Gospels, not just here in Matthew 14. In Luke 14, Jesus eats uh, at a banquet with the religious elite, with the Pharisees. Later on, Jesus eats with sinners and tax collectors. So don't miss this. Jesus is not partial with who he eats with. Okay? Jesus is eating with people that don't believe him yet. Jesus is eating with people that probably vote different than him, that look different than him, that act different, that are different races and, and nationalities and different places on the economic scale. Jesus is constantly being invited to dinner parties, okay? 
He, he were invited to the wedding parties. Jesus loves to eat with people. When Jesus called Zacchaeus, he said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. Jesus even had the audacity to invite himself over for dinner, okay? Jesus loves to eat with people. And why is this? In Jesus' day, culturally, when you ate with somebody, it was a symbol of friendship. It wasn't like, oh, we shared a meal together once, and now we're just Facebook friends. I don't really know who they are, right? If you, inv- if you were- and went into somebody's home and had a meal with them, it wasn't just, I'm going to tolerate you. It was, no, we're actually friends. So in Matthew 14, Jesus isn't just feeding the multitudes. He's saying, whoever you are and wherever you've come from, even if I haven't met you yet, even if you're different than me, even if you haven't decided to put your faith in me yet, there's room at the table. There's room at Jesus's banquet. There's room at Jesus's table. There's room for you. Why, why does Jesus want to eat with people? Because what do we do with our family, right? What do you do at Christmas and Thanksgiving with your family? You sit around, stare at each other? No, you eat together, right? You bring the hot dish. You bring the green bean casserole. You bring the, the rolls, right? Everybody brings something, and you eat together as family. And later in the Gospels, Jesus says, if you follow me, you are my family. You are my brothers and sisters. So Jesus is teaching us something here. And because of this, because we want to model that biblically, one of the things that we're um, excited about as we transition into the new facility later uh, this spring is that we're going to essentially widen the table and make the table longer as well, is that we are so excited to announce today that this spring when we move, that Sunday morning breakfast is going to be for everybody, for everybody. And we are so excited about that. So... Some of you are like, I thought it was for everybody now, and you're right. However, we are feeding about, you can come up anytime between 7 and 8 a.m. on a Sunday morning uh, if you like to get up early. However, if you look at that, we're feeding about five times as many people as that loft can hold. One of the many reasons that we're moving, and one of the first times that I walked into our new church and I saw the, the dining center and the kitchen that's larger than my house, I was like, okay, we are going to do this. It's not a side thing that Jesus does. One of the main things he does is sit down and be with people, okay? So right now, it's just been the limitations that have been keeping us uh, from doing that. But we hope as we transition and you make your new Sunday routine, that Sunday breakfast will become a part of your regular Sunday morning schedule. Get this, whether you need breakfast or not. This isn't just like, should I have my Fruit Loops at home or should I come to church and eat breakfast, okay? There are some in our community that are absolutely materially poor. There are some of us that are not. But whether you need breakfast or not, every single one of us has a deep human need, and that is to be known. That is connection. Some of us are materially poor. A lot of us are relationally poor. And it is an epidemic in our culture. We don't know how to slow down long enough to sit across the table from somebody, share a meal together with somebody that's not like us, that maybe votes differently than us, that doesn't look like us, that lives in a different part of town than us, and have a conversation. To know and be known is biblical. Jesus models it time and time again. What would Jesus do? Have breakfast. What's the first thing Jesus did when he rose from the dead? Do you know this? cook breakfast on the beach for his friends. Uh, I don't have time for breakfast. This is how Jesus lived. This is how he built 
bridges. And so we're still working on the details of that schedule, but we pray that you would start to see this as a regular part of your routine. And so all the, the normal outreach and transportation components of that ministry as it exists right now will not only continue but grow. This site right here will also be one of our future stops. So if you can make it here, we can get you over there, and we're going to add a few stops in that neighborhood um, as well. But we also see this being a great outreach to the community around us to stay to say to the neighborhoods in, in the Drake area around us on day one, our table is your table. And you can come, whether you belong to this church or not, no matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done, there is a place for you at the table at Hope Des Moines. Amen? So that's what we're saying on day one. That's why we're doing it, okay? The other great thing about breakfast is that it, it brings us together. You may not know, but there's about 500 more people that will worship this weekend at Hope Des Moines that are in this service right now, and you don't know them. And you don't know them because you worship differently. And as we grow as a church, you know, you hear people saying, oh, I don't know everybody anymore. Breakfast is a great opportunity to build those bridges and get connected with people and to make a big church feel smaller um, as well. And so because of all this, we need your help. We want to continue to grow these teams. We have a food team right now. We have a food ministry, but as we transition to doing breakfast for the entire church and the entire community uh, at large uh, over there, we're going to need your help as well. So I was praying about this sermon. Like, how do I inspire people? How do I get people to the place where, like, they know I really need to sign up for the food team? I mean, it's right there in the story. Matthew chapter 14, 16. Jesus says, that isn't necessary. You feed them. If you are looking for a sign from God, joining the food team is a command from Jesus himself. It's right there in the Bible story, okay? You feed them, okay? Joining the food ministry is the most biblical thing you can do today, all right? In other words, it's time to get in the game. It's time to get in the game. Today, we're having a ministry fair, and you see some of the uh, signs that are around, and these, some of these may be unfamiliar to you. We're highlighting about eight or nine of our specific ministries that we are going to need uh, to do day one uh, in our new facility really, really well that have to do with the weekend. And so we know that a lot of you have already served with Breakfast Club and volunteer to do that and bring food. We're going to ask that you continue to do that, but we're going to grow that Sunday morning food team, not to mention our events food team, because we're going to do a lot of different meals throughout the week um, as well. We cater in the food right now, but eventually, because we have the space and the ability to do it, we're going to start cooking our own meals right there on the spot on Sunday morning. And so if you love to cook and if you love to eat, then come, and we would love to have your help with that. But the teams go far beyond food, okay? That's one thing, okay? God hasn't given us this new facility to play it safe, but to grow the kingdom and welcome in as many people as we can that don't know Jesus and don't have a church home. So an effort to be ready for our move, we are building some of those teams today as well. So this is how, just like the disciples, you get in the game, okay? This is how you get a basket in your hand and you get in the game. So everything from uh, the parking team, which is on you know, the front lines of ministry for us, our parking team is awesome. We have a couple guys, Brian, Jeremiah, some other guys that are there every single week doing a fantastic job welcoming you in. And we wanna grow that team, uh, especially because we need more parking. And so we're gonna have different places to park all over the neighborhood over there, which means that we're building a shuttle team. So we're gonna have people that will pick you up if you park far away and bring you right to the front door. So we need some uh, some Uber drivers on Sunday morning if you want to do that as well. The security team to make to kind of be the eyes and, and, and the ears. You don't have to be a professional or anything like that, but to help us out with that. And then you see the other banners around. Hope Kids and Nursery, Food Events Team, Ushers, Greeters, uh, Weekend Coffee and Refreshments, all of those things. And here's the thing about a lot of these ministry areas. Um, we need you. Don't think that we don't need you on those teams because those teams don't exist yet. 
okay? So we want to build those teams and be ready, and then we're going to have some trainings at the new building in March so that we can all be prepared uh, for that as well. And some of you are thinking, John, I'll just wait and sign up or see if help is needed or whatever. You know, hospitality is not that big of a deal, you know? Hospitality is not that big of a deal until you've experienced really, really bad hospitality, until you've experienced really, really bad customer service. And nobody knows that better than our good friends, Jerry and George, when they meet the soup Nazi. Take a look. <laughs> Turn to the person next to you and say, no soup for you, no soup for you. Here's the great thing about Seinfeld. If you're looking for a sermon illustration, they've got a clip about everything. It's amazing, even, even soup. So we laugh about that, and rightly so. But for a lot of people, when they think about church, that's what they think of. For some of you, maybe even, that have been burned by the church or had a bad experience with the church or haven't felt welcomed at a church, hopefully not this one, but any church, that's been your experience. I don't know if you noticed kind of, you know, Jerry was giving him the little pregame talk there and like, God, you got to act a certain way and look a certain way and don't say this and don't get in their way and, and don't, you know, all that. That's been some of your experience with church. When you walked in those doors for the first time, so I, you know, am I wearing the right thing? And when you, it's, it's nerve-wracking going to a new church. Where should I sit? And where should I bring my kids for nursery or, or children's uh, Sunday school? You know, and, and, and do we stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight? Like, how does the service work? And I hope I don't sit in somebody's spot accidentally, you know? And, and where do I go? And what should I do? And some of you, that's been your experience with the church, and it breaks my heart. Because if there should be a place where you don't have to worry and you can be yourself and that's safe and that you feel loved and welcomed beyond a shadow of a doubt, it should be the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That's what we're about as a church, okay? There's this beautiful picture of that. To contrast that experience for them in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells the story of a father that had two sons. And the younger son wanted his inheritance. So he went to his father and basically took everything the father had had and he took the entire family wealth and his inheritance, and he, he ran away from home, and he went out and he squandered it on wild living. I mean, drugs, sex, and rock and roll, you name it. And he hit the bottom of the bottom, and he was eating with the pigs, and he wondered, after a couple years of this, I wonder if I'd be welcome back. I wonder if my father would receive me back. I wonder if I could crawl back up to my father's porch and beg for his mercy and his forgiveness. And what he doesn't know is that for the last couple years, his father has just been waiting sitting on the front porch, watching the long driveway, the long pathway, just for a glimpse that maybe my son will believe that there's nothing that he could ever do that would change the way that I feel about him. And one day, the story goes, Jesus tells the story that it says, while the son was a long way off, the father catches a glimpse of the son coming up the long driveway. And it says, while he was a long way off, the father didn't wait. The father didn't say, well, I'm going to stand over here because this is my house and you can come and find your own way and you can kind of crawl back and find your house. I mean, you've lived here before. You know how to get here. And no, no, no. It says the father ran to him and threw his arms around him and embraced him and said, my, my son who was lost is home again. And they had this giant party for him. That is a picture of church. That is a picture of what our Sunday morning experience should be, radical hospitality. And the reason that matters is some of you, well, let's be honest, all of us are the prodigal. Every single one of us has come walking through those doors, maybe asking the question, 
Maybe your first time here. Am I going to be noticed? Does anybody notice that I'm here? Do I matter? Are they even excited to see me? You're asking, is this church for real? Are they just kind of a holy huddle? Is everybody on their phones? And when I come in and sit down, are we, are we the kind of church that notices people that sit alone? Are we the kind of church that notices you know, somebody's new and needs to, oh yeah, the, the bathroom's that way. The, the nursery's that way, right? Are we that kind of a church? Are we gonna be the church that maybe not literally, don't freak people out, but that throws our arms around people in that way? That's the church and have a giant celebration and a party and tell people, welcome home. I mean, they killed the fatted calf and that would be weird, so we have donut holes instead. But it's the same idea. We're having a celebration. We're having a party because the lost have been found and every single one of us, when we come walking through those doors, needs that welcome. I hear people say sometimes, people that have been a part of the church for a while and are currently serving on these teams, and they don't know, they, they don't mean anything bad by it, but it just kind of slips out. Like, it's this like Midwestern aw shucks mentality. I'm just a greeter. I'm just, I'm just an usher. I mean, I'm just, I just serve breakfast. You know, I'm just on the parking team. I, I help with the kids, you know, once in a while. I'm not, not the pastor. I'm not the preacher. I'm not the worship leader. I mean, just an usher. I'm just a greeter, right? No, you are not just a greeter. You are the prodigal father standing on the front porch and you are the first people that people, when they come walking through those doors, you and the parking team are the first people that people see and they're wondering, do I matter? Are they even excited that I'm here? And I will tell you this, if you need a little extra motivation, you think you're just a greeter, when I meet with people, I've met with five people over the last two weeks for coffee or lunch, and I've asked them, what was your experience like when you're new to Hope Des Moines? What, what was your experience like? Because I want to know what we can do better. I want to know what people's impressions are of the church. I want to know how we can offer that five-star hospitality. And you want to know what four out of those five people, the very first thing that they said, what was your impression of Hope Des Moines? I love that your greeters are at the door smiling and shaking hands because it's actually like they're excited for us to be there. Amen? You are not just a greeter, okay? You are not just a greeter. The, the second thing that they said, multiple people said, I can't believe that you guys serve breakfast every week. Like, I don't have to like, qualify for it. I, I don't have to submit a resume. I don't have to shell out a bunch of money. You just do this? Like, what kind of church does that? A church that knows the prodigal father, a church that knows that that's God's heart, that everybody is welcome, no matter who you are or what you have done. That was the biggest impression that was left on people. Des Moines does not need more big church buildings. Des Moines needs more front porch kind of Christians. Amen? That's what we need. It does not matter that we're moving into almost 70,000 square foot building if we're not ready to welcome anybody there. It's just a building. This is the church. You are the church. And that's who we're going to be in that neighborhood. And that's what all these teams are about. I, I walk through them. You see some of them uh, up on the screen as well, our hope kids. There's gonna be a lot more kids coming. We expect to grow in that way. If you have a pulse, if you love Jesus, and if you love kids, you qualify for both of those uh, as well. Uh, volunteer for that. We're gonna have some representatives in the back for our ministry fair uh, for that as well. Not just hope kids, but the nursery. You heard about the parking team. Uh, you've heard about the shuttle team uh, as well, our security team. All these things, as you see, these different teams come up. One of the biggest myths about Lutheran Church of Hope is, oh, they're a big church. I'm sure they've got it covered. We don't, 
We don't. We need you for this. And this is where you step in. And Jesus says, you feed them. You feed them. So many people have gotten connected. If you're new within the last year, this is how most people get connected at Hope Des Moines. They start serving. Ushers, greeters, weekend coffee and refreshments, all those good-looking people in the fashionable blue shirts. You, too, could own a fashionable blue shirt as well. <laughs> Multiple lessons from Matthew chapter 14. Number one, Jesus is always enough. Number two, we're called to get into the game. And last but not least, Jesus is teaching his disciples. If you want to be great, if you want to make an impact, serve. One of my favorite uh, authors and leaders, Shane Claiborne, writes this. I love this. Everybody wants a revolution. Nobody wants to do the dishes. Think about that for a second. I want to serve. I want to make a difference. I want to be a part of an inner city church. I want to go on mission. I want to do outreach. And I would love to do it when it's convenient for me and when it fits my schedule and it's in my comfort zone. Jesus says, you feed them. You feed them. Servant leaders, mature servant leaders, don't look at a crowd and think, ah, somebody else will do it. Mature servant leaders look at a crowd and say, Jesus, what can I do? Because these are people that you love, that you have brought here, and praise God for crowds, and praise God for parking teams, and shuttle teams, and ushers, and greeters, that we even need that. Praise God that we would be good stewards of the people that God is bringing our way. And what I love about you as a church is that there are dozens of you over the last several years that have continued to come up after worship and they just say, I don't know, you got all these teams. I'm just willing to do whatever. I'm here to serve. And what I love about that is that there's just this ultimate surrender that so many of you have. You're an incredible church. And there's no duty, there's no obligation, there's no pressure. It's a get to, not a got to. <laughs> There's no sense of duty. Basically, you're just saying, Jesus has filled me up, and so I'm ready to overflow. And I don't know about you, but when I think about that, because every week I have a bottle of Sprite behind the altar, <clears throat> this is what happens. I'm coming to Hope Des Moines. I love it at Hope Des Moines. And I come, and I get all fired up, and we sing some songs, and I get inspired and motivated by the sermon. And I get all impassioned and, and motivated and inspired. I'm ready to go serve the city and volunteer and join all these teams, and then I go home and I chill out, and I fizz out. And then a Saturday or Sunday again, and I come to Hope Des Moines again, and I hear a great sermon, and I hear some great worship, and I get all fired up, and I see about all these needs that we can do and make an impact in the city, an eternal impact, and transform people's lives, and I want to volunteer, and I want to serve, and I make a difference, and I go home, and I chill out, and I fizz out. And Jesus is looking at us this morning. He's looking at you saying, take the lid off. Who wants to do that right now? Anybody this morning? Okay. Gotcha. I was going to do the Mentos thing, but save the stage for another month. But Jesus is looking at you this morning saying, the reason that I shake you up, the reason that I have blessed you with the time and the gifts and the talents and the wisdom and the experience and the leadership that I have is not so that you can keep getting shaken up every single Sunday and consume. The reason that I've done all that for you is so that you would take the lid off, and lead. You're never going to experience what Christianity was meant to be if you consume your way through it. It's never going to fill you up. It's servant leadership. It's, it's the core of that so that you'll overflow naturally. And one of those, I mean, I could tell stories about all of you, but I just want to end. One of those servant leaders that comes to mind, well, it's a couple, is, is Brian and Beth. 
uh, Honnold. Brian and Beth have been a part of our church for several years, and several years back I had the opportunity to officiate their wedding, and so we, we know them, and they're not here today, so I can say anything I want about them, uh, but they are at home uh, with uh, a week-and-a-half-year-old little boy that was just born, so they're new parents for the first time, but we've known them for a while, and uh, what you may not know is that Brian is a pretty key leader within Iowa State athletics. They both uh, went to Iowa State and worked at Iowa State, so we're barely friends. But uh, I, don't, I don't hold that against them. But Brian is in charge at Iowa State. If there is an event going on at Hilton Coliseum or Jack Trice Stadium, Brian is in charge of it. He leads everybody. There's Jamie Pollard, the athletic director, and Brian is the go-to guy. He is in charge. And he's very, very good at it. And so you may remember last fall, there was a little football game between the Hawkeyes and the Cyclones. Some of you maybe were there, watched it on TV. My wife and I were there. And what you may not know is that at 3.30 that morning, Brian was there. That's when he reported to work, on Saturday morning at 3.30 a.m. There's a little TV show on ESPN called College Game Day that was live for a national audience from Ames, Iowa. That day, it was a nationally televised game, so Brian had more on his plate than ever before. There was a traffic jam in Ames by 4 a.m. Brian is in charge of all of that, of getting 70,000 people moving around that space at, at Iowa State. The game was supposed to start at 3. If you remember, there was three different rain delays and the torrential downpour and hail, and who is the one that's deciding all of that and getting booed by everybody because they don't want to go in is Brian. He's talking to the refs. He's talking to the Big 12 officials. He's talking to the coaches and the teams and making those decisions and keeping people safe. And so he is exhausted and he is is drenched in rain and he's in charge of everything that's going on. He was supposed to start at three. The game starts at seven. It doesn't get done till 930 or 10. And Brian still has at least two and a half or three hours of after work, after the game, to take care of the field and get the, the facility shut down. He finally gets home at 1.30 a.m. For those of you keeping score, that's a 22-hour day. And we were sitting with Beth, his wife, in the stands, and as we were walking out, we saw Brian. He's just, like, exhausted and looks like he'd been through a hurricane or something like that. And being my kind of goofy pastor self, I said, hey, see you in church tomorrow morning. And he just kind of rolled his eyes at me a little bit. We're getting ready for the first service the next morning. This is in September. And I'm shaking some hands and saying hi to some people. And I look out in our parking lot. And who is out there with a smile, waving to cars and helping you find a parking spot? Brian. And I was like mad at him. Like I went out and I said, what are you doing here? If anybody deserves a weekend off, if anybody has an excuse for not coming to church today, it's you, man. I just said, what are you doing? And as cool and calm as could be, he just says, John, it was my, uh, it was my weekend to serve on the parking team, so I'm here. Yeah, you can clap for that. I don't know, you guys. Sometimes I just... In a moment of full disclosure, there's some Sunday mornings where I don't feel like getting up. Because <laughs> I'm tired and it's been a long week and I'm exhausted. And I'm like, I don't know if I have anything to say today. I don't know if it's going to matter. And then I just think about Brian and Beth's on our hospitality team and they serve and they will continue to do, even if she has to strap that little boy to her. They will be here. They've said that because our season of life is not going to dictate our heart to serve. 
Our season of life is not going to dictate whether we serve or not. And what I love about Brian is that there was no, like, heroic nature about it. It, (laughs) What he does is a really big deal, and there's tens of millions of dollars riding on Division I college football games. But Brian knows that there's just as big, if not a bigger, more important game going on here every single weekend. And when the game's on, the players show up. When the game's on, the players show up. He takes the lid off, and it changed everything. He stopped consuming, and he started serving, and it changed everything. And more than anything, I pray that you have a holy sense of anticipation with me for what God is going to do in the future with this new move for the ministries and the, the new uh, thousands of new guests. And with that, a deep sense of trust that God is going to continue to provide for our every need. He's provided financially. He's provided this space. He's going to provide the team members and the volunteers to make this happen. Don't miss it today. Jesus didn't just do a miracle long ago. He is the bread of life for you today. He is the way maker who makes a way when there is no way, who takes what we have, just like the little boy's lunchbox, who takes what we have a week, once a month, the gifts, the talents, the skills. Jesus says, give it to me and I will multiply it and I will use it for my kingdom. Give what you have to me. I am the bread of life. I am the way maker. And I don't want you to miss, Jesus says, on the adventure that we are going to next as a church. Don't miss it. And so you're going to have an opportunity to do that after we worship. We're going to have our leaders come and stand by these different spots. And after worship, we encourage you to go to stick around and hang out and talk to them and see how God might want to use you to serve. But first, we're going to give God praise for who he is. And we're going to sing a new song together. Let's stand on up and let's worship him today.